You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right. Good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning, whether you're here in person. I think we've got a couple folks who are um, joining us online, some of the folks who aren't here. There's a lot of summertime travels that are happening right now, so um, can expect for folks to be in and out. But um, I'm thankful to be here this morning and, and leading us through the Word. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 16 together, and this kind of kicks off actually our summer focus on the parables. So um, all summer long, we're going to be going through different parables in the New Testament. And so uh, I'm going to kick us off here and uh, really one of the more lesser known parables, I think, and um, we'll probably see why in just a little bit. But hopefully after our time here today, this will be one of your favorite parables um, that you'll be able to reflect on and, and point others to. So Grateful to be able to share, but did want to just provide some context on just the nature of parables as we kick off this uh, teaching session this summer. Um, So um, first off, we've got a couple of resources that we want to point you to if parables are unfamiliar to you or just the nature of how to understand them. So um, there's one book that's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, Um, and basically it just goes through and provides you an understanding of different parts of scripture and how best to uh, to read those, to to glean from those understanding. Well, there's a whole chapter on parables, um, which is great to kind of dig in to further understand how to look at parables, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a minute. Um, and then John MacArthur has a book out that's titled Parables. He actually goes through all of the parables in the New Testament and provides deeper understanding or reflection that maybe isn't obvious in the text as you're reading it. And so that's also a great resource um, that we wanted to uh, let you know about as well. So those are two great books. If you want to come check them out afterwards, we'll have them up here, and you can kind of skim through them, see if it's anything you'd be interested in. But um, something that, as we teach through this summer, we'll be referencing at different times, among other resources, as we kind of go through together. Um, I did want to share with you, so Jesus actually tells us in the Gospels the purpose of parables. Um, so in Matthew chapter 13, Mark chapter 4, Luke chapter 8, he shares an understanding with the disciples of the purpose of parables. So I wanted to read um, from Luke chapter 8 what Jesus says. Um, so after he shared a, a, a parable, his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? He said, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So Jesus says he speaks in parables to hide the secrets of of the kingdom from some, but to reveal them to others. The ESV study says to blind those who have resisted God's revelation while helping those who have believed it. Um, In this book, Parables, John MacArthur says, Jesus' parables had a clear twofold purpose. They hid the truth from self-righteous or self-satisfied people who fancied themselves too sophisticated to learn from him, while the same parables revealed truth to eager souls with childlike faith, those who were hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Matthew Henry says that parables make the things of God more plain and easy to those willing to be taught, and at the same time more difficult and obscure to those who are willfully ignorant. Um, So as we look at parables um, you know, Jesus provides a very helpful context for us to understand a very complex teaching. Teachings that can go uh, very deep in our understanding, but are there, that are provided in a context that's very helpful and, and palatable in a way for us to understand. Um, so, you know, you'll see parables about soil, right? I mean, it's dirt. It seems very common, very normal, but it's very profound in how he talks about seeds and dirt and and, and farming and agriculture. And um, there are a lot of parables, as we'll see today, around uh, stewardship and riches and wealth and and managing those. And so it's a, a helpful way for us as believers to take things that are common and, and easy for us to understand and to see very deep, rich truths provided from him. And then we wouldn't expect anything different from Jesus, right, from the Son of God, that he could take something very simple, even a mustard seed, and give us an understanding of it that can blow our minds over and over and over again when we continue to come back to it, right? That's not surprising that Jesus can do that. And so that's the purpose of parables. It shouldn't be something that we go through and and expect that every detail of what we see means something specifically, but that overall there's a teaching to be gleaned from the parable, the lesson, the context with which he's providing us. So um, hopefully that's a helpful kind of way to kick off our time uh, around parables, and uh, as we start this summer series, um, like I said, I'm excited to be able to share one that actually, as I was uh, 
reading more and understanding more, a lot of commentators say that this is the hardest parable to learn or to understand um, of all the parables that Jesus provides. So thankfully Adam's not here, um, and and, and um, I don't teach very often, although I enjoy teaching and enjoy sharing. So we're going to turn this uh, challenging parable into one that I hope, as I said, is one of your favorites and one that um, you'll go back to and at least will be more familiar with um, you know, with your study, with your understanding. Now, I will say what's interesting is that this parable right before it is the parable of the prodigal son, which you're probably pretty familiar with. Um, you know, it's the, the son that wants his inheritance. He goes away. He spends it all. He realizes he's in a, uh, uh, that he's squandered everything, and he wants to come back. He's afraid that he won't be welcomed. He is welcomed. There's a lot of parallels in there as we understand the audience with which that um, parable is shared with. And then after this parable is another one that um, might be less familiar, but you, you may have heard of it. It's Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man who is greedy. Lazarus just wants some crumbs. The rich man doesn't share. Eventually they end up in heaven. The rich man is in hell, and he just wants Lazarus to bring him a drop of water. And Abraham's like, no, sorry, you can't do that. There's a great chasm here. So those are two parables on either side of this parable, which are more familiar, but then this one kind of ends up in the middle, and it's not as familiar because there's some difficulty tied to it. Um, and we'll see at the very end of this, the parable, the story starts off, and then right after that, Jesus provides some specific application to the parable. But then even after that, there's some principles that he also shares that are probably more familiar to you, like those who are faithful with a little are faithful with much. Those who are dishonest with a little are dishonest with much. Or the understanding that you can't serve two masters, right? You'll either love the one or hate the other, be devoted to one or despise the other. So those are common principles that you hear, and those principles are actually tied to this parable. Um, so hopefully I've gotten you on the edge of your seat this morning. You're excited. You're ready to jump into this parable and, uh, and hear more and, um, and, and join in with me. So what we're actually going to do is I'm going to read the parable portion of our text today, which goes from verse 1 to verse, uh, the beginning of verse 8. All right, so uh, Luke chapter 16 starts off, he says, He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since the master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed, too ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. He said to, the, to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill, write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Our summary sentence for today says, how believers fulfill their roles as God's stewards in the handling and use of his wealth reveals where their desires and priorities are placed and proves their ability to handle greater eternal responsibilities within his gospel purposes. How believers fulfill their roles as God's stewards in the handling and use of his wealth reveals where their desires and priorities are placed and proves their ability to handle greater eternal responsibilities within his gospel purposes. I had in my notes, Jesus often talked about money and wealth. One-sixth of the gospel's content including one out of every three parables, touches on stewardship. Jesus obviously knew then and knows today the true value of money and wealth and the role it plays in society. He's also fully aware of the temptation that comes along with money and wealth for his followers. This parable helps us to understand how to properly view, use, and guard against the temptations to value and use wealth for our own, simple purp for our own sinful purposes. Um, so basically, as we follow along in the story, we have this um, manager, right? He's put in a role, a position, um, but there's this conflict. He's not a good manager. And so there's action taken against him. The master comes and says, you're fired. So then we have this 
uh, action that the manager has to take, a reaction to being fired where he realizes, I'm being fired, what am I going to do now? And so the rest of the parable is him playing out how he's going to use, one, his position, the, the intelligence, the, the role that he has in order to prepare himself for what he knows is coming in the future, not having a job. How am I going to take care of myself when I don't have a job anymore? And it's that action that he takes that the manager actually uh, commends him on. Um, so that's kind of the, the gist of the parable of the story itself. So um, our first point here for us is that we should embrace the role of active stewardship. Embrace the role of acti- active stewardship. Um, so early on in the parable, we hear about this um, rich man who had a manager. And the position of manager is one that's very important for us to understand because if, uh, if, you've, if you're familiar with the word steward, it would be the same thing, right? It's somebody who is supposed to be responsible for someone else's stuff, their possessions, their um, operation, whatever it is, this person is kind of the front person for just handling all of those things. They're supposed to act on behalf of the master, the one who they're stewarding for, the one who they are managing for. And so a good manager operates off of that mindset. What I'm doing is not tied to me, it is tied to them. I am in service of them. They are what their wishes are, what they desire is my main responsibility. My role here, my decisions, my choices are not about me. They're about this other person, my boss, my master, the one who owns all of this, the one who has employed me and given me this great responsibility to handle these things. And so a manager who's not good, one that we see here who's wasteful, would be somebody who operates off of their own uh, desires, their own uh, pursuits in that role, right? They're saying, yes, you've given me responsibility here, but you know what? I'm going to look out for myself at the same time. I'm going to do things or operate off of some selfish tendencies. I'm going to set aside what I know should be my primary um, pursuit, my primary desire that I'm supposed to to stand in for you as if I were you, and I'm going to serve myself in this way. Um, So that's the importance of the role of the manager. So actually here, um, so that first point there, faithful stewards represent their master's and not themselves. Faithful stewards represent their masters uh, and not themselves. So the essence of the steward or the manager's job is to serve the desires of his master first and foremost. This is a, a key concept in the life of a believer, which is why, the next point here, believers are called to be stewards of God's resources. What's very interesting at the beginning of this parable is that it says that Jesus is telling this to his disciples. The previous parables were spoken to like large crowds or to the Pharisees. And actually after this, we we see that the Pharisees were listening into this parable and Jesus begins to redirect his parables back to the Pharisees. But right here, he takes a break and he's communicating this parable about this manager specifically to his disciples. He wants them to understand that role of manager, that role of steward, specifically because these are his followers. And what's great is that we are his followers, which means we are his stewards. We are his managers. And so for this parable, for this lesson, for the application at the end and the principles that he provides, this is for us today to take to heart. Um, And so as you listen today, you know, I hope that you listen with the posture, one of gratitude, as we sang earlier today, Um, we stood neath the debt that we could not afford. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. I hope that you are listening today with a posture of gratitude that you have been allowed to be a steward, a manager, that because of how God has acted on your behalf, you can now serve in this capacity, all right? Um, So we get to hear this parable, this application, these principles as stewards, as managers, just like the disciples are being challenged here today. Um, So I have in my notes here, um, he's teaching his followers, the principle of stewardship is a fundamental concept of following and belonging to his kingdom. That when you keep it in focus, it radically affects how you live. 
I thought it was important that we also think about this beyond money, right? The manager wasn't the accountant. He's the manager of everything, of the whole operation. The, the, uh, the role of being an accountant is a component of that, and it's very important. It's tied to the money, right? But he's also in charge of all the daily functions. He's in charge of everything internally that's supposed to happen to keep this master's operation successful and profitable. But then he also has... Uh, external influence as well as he's working with other stewards or managers. And so he's, he, there's also power and, and influence externally beyond this. And so this role for the manager, for the steward, is very important and goes beyond just money. And so a couple things I want you to keep in mind is, as we listen today, that uh, we're called to steward not just money, but time. Time is huge, right? Money, for the most part, can be made back. Time that is spent is gone. And so stewarding, managing time is very important and very valuable. And as we'll see a little bit later, time is headed somewhere. And we are called to steward and manage what we have, including time, in light of where time is headed, right? So time is an important resource. Uh, Assets like our homes, our vehicles, equipment that we have. Skills, professions, knowledge, hobbies, relationships that you have, connections that you have with people, family, friends, co-workers in the community. All of those things are things that we're called that in our own individual context, we've been given the privilege of managing. Your friends, your relationships at work, at school, all of those things fall underneath the umbrella of what we're called to steward and to manage. So while this story, this parable, is directly tied to this manager making a decision about debt and money, the the role that we're called to and that the disciples are called to far extends beyond just money, right? It's everything. It's our lives that we have. Um, so the next point here is we can continue to go through. Um, he's going to now share with us what the manager does. And so I'm going to kind of walk us through um, the, the steward here, the manager. But um, for your notes, The next point is that our eternal perspective should guide our use of God's resources. Our eternal perspective should guide our use of God's resources. Um, So the steward is found guilty of wasting the master's possessions, or another word you could use is squandering. What's interesting about that is that that's the same word that's used for the prodigal son who takes his inheritance, travels away, and he wastes it or squanders it. So in a lot of ways, um, instead of this being referred to as the, the dishonest manager, this could be the prodigal manager in some ways, who's wasteful with those resources, with that the privilege of the role that he's been given. So we see that the manager is wasteful. He's wasting the master's possessions. Um, it's not quite clear here if this is like, a criminal thing that he's doing, or if he's just being self-centered. Um, th- at no point in the parable is there some type of legal recourse that the master decides to take. So it's hard to say that this was like that he's stealing or robbing from the master, but in some way he's not, rough, he's not serving the master faithfully as he should be. He's doing something, some part of this for himself. So he could even think about this in some regards as maybe he's just being lazy, right? He's not doing a good job. Maybe he's just not doing a good job. Maybe he's just careless, right? That's really what the prodigal son was doing. He's just careless. He just went and was frivolous with what he had and spent it all, and he was broke, right? So this could be a situation where maybe it's not like this evil master plan to figure out how he can benefit. Maybe he's just not a good, he's just not good at his job, and so he's, he's wasteful, and so the manager comes, I mean, the master comes, and he fires him, But what's interesting is the next question that the manager asks. He says, what shall I do? Every day in your context, you have that question in front of you. What shall I do? Now, there's a greater question, a greater context to think about in terms of the rest of your eternity. In light of the truth that you know and what you've been confronted with in the gospel, what shall I do? But as a believer, you have thousands of opportunities every day where you're presented with the question, what shall I do? In light of what has happened, in light of what I know, in light of what I've been given, what shall I do? So this is a great question. And from this point on is really what um, the, the parable points us to 
as managers and as stewards is how we respond to that question, what shall I do? Um, so here's what the, uh, the manager decides to do, and there's some debate, again, over whether this was illegal or legal. Um, some argue that the master had violated um, Old Testament rules around interest and gaining interest on, uh, on selling you know, uh, products, and so the manager just simply took away the interest, right? And if the master would have come back and said, no, you can't do that, then it would have been shown that he was actually, that the master was doing something illegal. So it could be that the reduction of what we saw, like a hundred, um, it's not gallons, but all the oil, right? All the olive oil, all the bushels, that the reduction actually just got rid of the illegal uh, interest that was being charged. So that's one thought here. Another thought is that the steward, the master was, act, the manager was actually giving up his take of what was owed. That in order to gain favor with these people, he's saying, I will receive less now so that you will welcome me and um, allow me to serve you, uh, to be employed by you, or just be welcomed in your home, or I'm doing you a favor, so you got to do me a favor. That he's just taking away his own cut in this, which would be a significant amount because with the oil, it was 50%, right? Um, so that would be a, a pretty large, which could also speak to the fact that this is a dishonest manager if he's charging that much more for his own take. So that's one possibility here. And then the last possibility is that he's just stealing, right? He's just doing something illegal, plain and simple. I mean, he is referred to as dishonest, right? So it wouldn't be out of his character to do something that's dishonest. So that could be the case that he's just stealing. Although we don't see the master, again, you know, um, bring some type of legal recourse um, against the manager. Um, so it's hard to say whether this is something that's illegal or not. So regardless, what we do know from the context is that this is a large operation. The amounts of oil um, and the amounts of wheat are significant. So um, uh, in today's terminology, the oil would have been 800 to 1,000 gallons of oil, all right, um, which... You know, if you're talking about a gallon of gas these days, that'd be you know, pretty expensive, right? Um, the oil would be pretty expensive. It would have been about three years of wages just in the oil. Uh, the wheat, which was a thousand bushels, that would have been enough to feed 150 people for a year. It's a lot of wheat, or seven and a half years of labor. So the point here to 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 take just from that. Uh, understanding of the amounts is that this is a large operation, right? I mean, to be trading those quantities means that nobody in the story here is on the edge of poverty, right? This is business. These are business people with large amounts of oil and wheat who are, you know, trading and kind of like the stock market in a sense, you know, um, they're kind of going back and forth. And so he's also rubbing elbows with these other people who uh, have large operations. If they're supposed to bring this quantity of oil or this amount of wheat, they have lots of land, lots of resources as well. And so the the manager here is just simply through whatever it is, whether it's he's taking his own commission away or he's removing illegal interest or he's just doing something illegal he is gaining favor, seeking to gain favor with these other individuals so that they will then welcome him afterwards, all right? Um, all right, so one word in here that I don't use in my day-to-day -day language is shrewd. Um, I'm not sure if any of you do, um, but I needed to understand better the term shrewd or shrewdness because that's what he's commended for. The master commends him for his shrewdness. So um, a couple of definitions to uh, help us understand better. So shrewdness could be defined as good powers of judgment or showing clever resourcefulness in practical matters, right? He's just, he's acting in light of wisdom. He's acting in light of what he has. He's acting, uh, you know, he's asked that question, what shall I do? And he's thinking about what do I know? What am I in charge of? What are my opportunities? And then he's just acting in light of that. And that's what he's praised for, right? It's not that he's being praised for um, reducing the debts, right? The master isn't praising him that he's not going to get as much. He's praising him that he's acted in a way that if we go back to defining his wastefulness as being careless or lazy, that now all of a sudden he's actually doing something 
that is smart. He's actually taking ownership and acting in light of what he knows is going to happen. Um, so that's one way that we could also understand this when we th- uh, kind of define better the understanding of shrewdness, of being shrewd. So that's your challenge today is to use the word shrewd um, when you leave here. Um, all right, so the manager, he's leveraged his relationships and position to help secure his future. I do want to point out that this is the opposite of what we see in the bad examples of the parable of the talents or later on in Luke, the parable of the ten minus. So in those situations, you have individuals who were given resources and then a master who went away and then each of them had to choose what they were going to do with what they were left with. So they were stewards, right? They were managers of what they were left with. Now, the bad examples in each of those, out of fear for their, what their master would do, they don't do anything. And in both of those examples, the masters return and they scold those individuals who didn't do anything with what they were left with. They scold them and they take away what they were given and give it to somebody else who was actually intentional and used it. And, gra- and gained more. Ultimately, God has a purpose to continue to take ground in the hearts of people. And so if we, as stewards, as managers, if we're being lazy or unintentional or self-centered in what we're being um, entrusted with, then we're not being faithful, good stewards. We're being selfish. We're being dishonest as stewards. And so those two examples outside of this parable help also to give us an understanding of the challenge that we have as believers to be intentional and to use what we have um, because God has great purposes for those things. And we want to be seen as faithful as using those things. Remember, it's not just money. It's everything that we've been entrusted with for his purposes. All right, so the implication for us is, am I faithfully serving as an active steward of what God has entrusted me with? And I included active Um, because as we were just talking about, we can't just um, sit back and not do anything with what we have. Uh, We're called to be um, active. We're called to be intentional to use what we've been entrusted with for our master's great purposes that we have. So am I faithfully serving as an active steward of what God has entrusted me with? All right, so that's the, the parable portion of what we're looking at. So now we're actually going to go into um, the application. So as I mentioned before, this is a little bit different because it's parable, it's story, then application, and then principles. So now we're going to go into um, the the application here. So um, the second point here is embrace God's perspective on the purpose of wealth. Embrace God's perspective on the purpose of of wealth. So looking back at Luke chapter 16, Jesus now says, this is after the master praises the manager for his shrewdness, Jesus says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So now you see why most people stay away from this, right? Because there's a lot going on in there, and some of it sounds like, wait a second, Jesus is telling me to make friends with unrighteous wealth so that, they'll re- so that when it fails, they'll receive me in eternal dwellings. I mean, that makes normal sense, right? So now you can see some of the complication here. So um, with this as kind of our heading, the first point here for us is, Engage others with intentionality and purpose. So uh, hopefully you picked up on that there's a, there's a compare and contrast that's happening at the beginning. Jesus is saying that the sons of this world or this age, those who are just focused on now are their, just, are their own lifetime here on earth, that they are more shrewd, and, and we said that's intentional, resourceful with what you have Um, with the generation, with this generation right now, than the sons of light. So the uh, sons of this age would be those who are unbelievers, right? Those who are just focused solely on this world this time. The sons of light would be his followers, those who are living for a purpose greater than just this time frame, greater than just now. 
And so Jesus, within that context of dealing with their own generation, is challenging the disciples. Um, it says he uh, essentially is calling out his disciples, saying that the sons of this age are more intentional, more planful, and more action-oriented than the sons of light, than my followers are. And so he's calling them out, saying, um, I want you, in light of what you know, that goes beyond this world and this time, you should be way more intentional. You should be way more focused and active than these people are who are just focused on this lifetime, that are just focused on now, who are just focused on representing themselves for their own self-centered purposes in this life. And so with a greater purpose, a greater calling, we should be way more intentional, way more purposeful, way more uh, active in the world, in the time frame that God has placed us in. He's calling his disciples to engage their generation, not ignore the world around them, but be involved in it. He isn't praising the sons of this world, but rather their shrewdness in engaging in their affairs with others to provide for their future. So he's saying, it's not that I want you to be a son of this world or this age, but I want you to definitely at least behave in a way um, like them, because you know of the true future, of the greater future, of the eternal future. And so living in light of that, embrace and engage those around you where I've placed you, right? Back to the um, beyond money, there are relationships that God has uh, intentionally, sovereignly, um, divinely connected you with, right? Engage in those relationships, those friendships, those uh, the family members, wherever the coworkers embrace those opportunities as a faithful, intentional, active steward wherever you are. So uh, he's challenging the disciples here. He says, um, engage others with intentionality and purpose. Next, uh, that God determines the true value and purpose of worldly riches. So um, back to the the text here. He says. And I tell you, which should make our ears, you know, um, perk up a little bit more because first he's made a point for the sons of this age are more shrewd with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you. So now he's even going further, similar to how he does in other places where he says, you heard it said, but I say. Now he's saying, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Now, I want to clear up this unrighteous wealth deal because that sounds like black market, um, you know, under the table type, you know, trying to um, uh, basically just um, pressure somebody into being your friend. But wealth here is, you know, defined as how we would understand it with as money and possessions. The unrighteous component is just tied to how uh, our worldly system operates with money and possessions, right? It's... Um, covered in sinfulness and self-centeredness, but it's how we operate, right? I mean, we have to exchange money, monetary things for to receive other things. I mean, it's just how we in our regular lives have to function, and Jesus understands that. But when he says unrighteous wealth, that's what he's referring to, right? In just a little bit, he's going to talk about true riches, and he's going to point us to heavenly treasures which are, are greater and are eternal, where moth and rust can't destroy. But here he's saying, use what you have here now in order to, to make friends, all right? Through the means of what you have now. Now, it's important to understand uh, where he specifically says, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, because that gives us a proper understanding of what is the purpose of unrighteous wealth, so the appropriate understanding is that it's meant to be used and not stored up, not to make it into an idol, but to use it. He gives us direction on what it should be used for. Make friends with it. Making friends with eternal purposes in mind, namely the gospel, so that those same people will ultimately join us in eternity. This is the same point that's made in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. 
they, the rich, are to do good, be, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And then he says, this is why. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly, truly life. So God's word here is clear. There is a way you store up riches for yourself, and it's by doing good, being rich in good works, being generous and ready to share. God has entrusted those things to us now for us to use with eternal purposes, right? So thinking back to the, the manager in the parable, he's focused on beforehand, before he asked the question, what should I do? He just focused on his job right then. And apparently it was, uh, he's being unfaithful. He's focused on himself. Um, it probably starts, as we'll see towards the end, in something that he's being unfaithful in a small way, right? He's making a small decision. He won't notice if I take a little bit here or if I take a couple of days off. I mean, he's gone. He's always gone. I mean, just, just the little things, right? And so here in, in this passage and in First Timothy, we're being called with whatever we have to focus on those eternal treasures, right? As Christ as our treasure, riches that um, won't fade away. I think about the, um, the Jim Elliott quote, right? He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, right? In other words, it's wise to spend the things that you're going to lose anyway in order to earn the things that, uh, that will never go away, that you'll never lose, right? Of course, he says it much better than I do. But, so that's the point here, is with an eternal perspective in mind and with riches and treasures that go beyond this world and with people in mind who um, are lost, who are um, you know, the sons of this age who are only focused on now, be intentional with what you have for those purposes by means of whatever you have. The unrighteous wealth, but you know, not just money, with whatever you have, including your time. Um, okay, so the next point helps kind of um, bring us into that understanding of eternity because what does the manager say his purpose of um, gaining favor is? He wants to be welcomed into their homes. And so Jesus says, so that when the unrighteous wealth fails, which... Um, as we saw with Jim Elliott in, in his quote, but then um, ultimately in death, what we have here doesn't go with us. Um, in the end, when this world ends, whatever wealth we had won't go with us. But even right now, wealth and, and possessions and treasures, when we place our satisfaction, when we place our fulfillment in them, they fail us. So Jesus says that when those things fail, that you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Basically, to be able to use what you have with the relationships that God's placed in your life to put on display your freedom from this world, your freedom from um, earthly possessions, to point them, to point those in your life to what you know is true about eternity. And that through that, God might use that display in their heart to bring them to Christ. And then, in eternity, in heaven, to be able to celebrate with those individuals and for them to be able to share with you that when I saw you do this, when I saw your generosity, when I saw your thoughtfulness, when I saw you answering the question, what shall I do? And you responded with freedom from this world, and you gave generously to me your time. You gave generously to me the ability to, um, to use what you had. When you cared for me like what you had was of no value in light of serving me, I had to ask myself, what do you believe? I had to ask myself, how could you do this? I had to ask myself, what shall I do? And what's great about this is that Jesus is setting us on a mission to basically bring together the largest worship service there's ever been. And every time you operate off of the freedom of this world, you're sending an invitation to those individuals to come join you, 
that freedom, that display of saying, this world is not my home. I don't, I'm not focused on this age or this world. I'm headed somewhere greater. I'm, I'm looking forward to treasures beyond this world. I'm looking forward to my great treasure beyond this world. Every time you put that on display in the lives of other people, it is an open invitation for them to say, how can you do that? Why would you do that? And for you to be able to share more about why that is something that you can do, why, you're, why you are free to do that, right? And so here we have the, the manager, the steward in the parable is focused on, I want to be able to do something. I know I'm about to lose my job. I want to be able to do something here that will give me the ability to still be welcomed so that um, I'm not having to beg and because I'm too weak to dig holes, apparently. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to use what you have to make friends now so that when wealth fails, you'll be able to celebrate together in eternity. Okay? So that was the difficult part of the parable. So congratulations, there's probably way more in there, um, and it's probably way more difficult um, that I made it sound. Um, but within that is the application that we're called to, right? To live out our freedom from this world in hopes that God would use it to bring others to Christ. Um, Charles Spurgeon said, um, for some people, you're the only Bible that they'll ever read. And so what is your version of the Bible saying and how you treat them or how you use your stuff with them, right? And so that's the application portion. So now at the very end here, or sorry, the implication for us, kind of a summary of, of what we were saying. With intentionality, a true understanding of value, and a focus on our eternal home, use your wealth and resources for gospel purposes. With intentionality, a true understanding of value, and a focus on our eternal home, use your wealth and resources for gospel purposes. All right, the final section here, these are those principles. So um, verses 10 through 13 here um, are those principles for us um, to dig into. So I'm going to go one by one here and and really kind of close out our time, even though we've already covered some application with these principles that Jesus has provided for us here. So the first one, pursue faithfulness even in the smallest areas of life. In verse 10, he says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest with much. Um, So we're called to faithfulness in all things. And the question I have for us is, is my faithfulness with what I have tied to how much of it I have? Because the common denominator here isn't how much I have, it's whether I'm faithful or dishonest. Because whether I have a little or a lot doesn't matter. Because I'll either be faithful with a little or a lot or dishonest with a little or a lot. So it's not tied to how much I have. I don't know if you've worked through the scenario in your mind, but it's like, if I ever won the lottery, here's what I would do. Well, there's a reason why you haven't won the lottery. Well, one, because, you know, you shouldn't gamble. But, I mean, there's a reason why you haven't been endowed with this great, you know, inheritance that you didn't even know you had that rich uncle, you know. There's a reason why that hasn't happened. Because you are called to what you have right now to be faithful with it, whether it's a little or a lot, right? That's the principle. Seek faithfulness, not quantity. Seek faithfulness. And remember, faithfulness is being active. Faithfulness is, is uh, using what you have in light of what you know about eternity, about the goodness of God. Using what you have, whether it's little or a lot, in light of that truth, in light of that reality. Um, I will say this is the conflict that parents and children have, right? Because parents see kids not being faithful in the small things, and they know if that's how you handle that little thing, then when you grow up, that might be how you handle the big things. And kids are like, well, why are you getting on to me about this little thing? It's a little thing. Well, because you know that that little thing one day will be a big thing, right? And so kids, as parents, we love you, We've made mistakes with little things that have turned into big things. And so when we encourage you around things that you think are little, it's because of this principle. We want you to be faithful with a lot, so we're encouraging you to be faithful with a little. All right? It's not from us. 
it's from Jesus, all right? And so we have learned hard lessons from this as parents. We want to encourage you not to have to learn the same hard lessons, okay? All right, the next point here is to pursue faithfulness in the now areas of things, the now areas of things. So um, back in the text, Jesus says, If then you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, which now we understand, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Um, So this is kind of a lesser to greater. It's a rhetorical question which infers a negative response, right? Um, So if you follow the simple, easy logic, Jesus is saying, if you're dishonest with what you already have, should you expect to be given more to be dishonest with? No. He says, if you're selfish and careless, unintentional with the temporal, should you expect to have more weighty eternal matters placed within your care? No, right? I mean, it's simple logic here for us to understand. Um, If you go back to um, the parable of the talents and the minus, uh, the ten minus, at the end, remember, those who didn't do anything with it, they had theirs taken away because they weren't faithful with what they had. So should you expect, if you're being dishonest, to be given more? And the simple answer is no. So we're called to pursue faithfulness in the now areas of life. Where do you have me now? What do you have in my life now that you're calling me to be faithful with? And then the last principle here, Commit to faithfulness in the most important area of life. And um, this is that two masters text here. Uh, It says, no servant can serve two masters for he'll either hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's the same thing we saw in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. And uh, basically this is a warning. Jesus is, is warning that we can become slaves to money. Um, he didn't say that we should serve God more than money. This is a, um, a this or that, right? It is either God or it is money. One commentator talked about how um, of all the masters the soul can choose, there are at last only two, God and money. All the choices, however small, however the alternatives may be disguised, are but variants of these two choices, God and money. Um. Earlier in Luke chapter 14, Jesus is also calling his followers. He says, therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. He's calling for full devotion, full commitment, right? This isn't a list of priorities where God is at the top and then I have this, you know, is important and this. It's like, no, there is only one throne seated on my soul, on my heart, one which means only one person or one object can sit there. And it's either God or it's not. It's either God or it's something else that's tied to this life now for my own personal pursuits. And as a, as a manager and as a steward, I am called to represent him. In Galatians, it talks about how um, we are not our own, that we've been bought with a price. I'm not my own anymore. Remember that attitude of, of uh, thankfulness and gratitude? I stood neath the debt I could not afford. And so with that attitude of thankfulness and gratitude, I serve out of that and I say, God, you have the seat on the throne of my life. And I want to live and do everything in my time here on earth right now in light of that and through that so that there's no other channel, no other object that's, that's challenging you for the authority over my life. The, um, essentially, the seat is taken, right, on the throne of my heart. It's done. And now I'm just called to live in light of that as a steward and as a manager. Um, so the implication here for us is who or what have you set as your master? It's either God or it is not God. Those are the only two options. It's either him or it's not. Okay. Um, in conclusion, I wanted to, to share this with you as we uh, close out our time. We're all faced 
with the question today of whether or not we're managing the resources God has entrusted to us, knowing we are responsible for what we do with what we've been given. If we truly embrace the role of active, faithful stewardship, we won't be focused on our own worldly, personal achievements, but on God's great, eternal, lasting, and glorious pursuits, namely the advancement of the gospel for the spread of his glory. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word and thankful um, for parables and the use of them. Um, Lord, thank you for how they enlighten our hearts and minds through ways that help us to comprehend um, just greater truths and principles, greater things about uh, your goodness within the context of, of our own areas of life that we're very familiar with. Lord, we're thankful for um, this message today and truths and principles that are eternal. Um, do pray for all of us and, and grateful for what you have entrusted us with. Um, that, uh, as David Livingston once said, that we haven't sacrificed anything. That we operate out of um, and through a life that has already been filled with so much to be grateful for, namely our own salvation through Christ. And so anything we were to offer up or to give to someone else for the sake of the gospel is not ours. We don't sacrifice anything. It is all yours. And so we pray for those areas of life, the, what you've called us to steward, our money, possessions, our time, our relationships that we have, the wisdom that you've bestowed upon us, that we will be found when it is time to give an account, faithful, active stewards who did not respond out of fear or lack of trust and, um, and choose laziness or choose neglect, but that who sought to take advantage of every opportunity that you've provided us with, to, that sought to maximize every resource for your name and on your behalf, for your glory, so that through those actions, you would call more people to trust on you. Lord, we are humbled that as your followers, you would give us this privilege. And I pray for, um, for folks who are here who haven't trusted on you. And I thank you that they're here. I thank you that they've joined us. I pray that through our message today, that their hearts have been opened, that this parable has revealed to them where they stand um, from a heavenly perspective, an eternal perspective, that the time frame of their understanding goes beyond this age into eternity, or that you would use simple words that were spoken to reveal profound truth, spiritual realities, and bring people to trust on you either more fully as believers or to trust on you for salvation for the very first time. Lord, thank you for your goodness this morning to us, for your love towards us in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.